Wait, honey, pause for a second. This reminds me of another octopus. Welcome to The Spinal Frontier, a podcast where we speculate as to why Star Trek aliens are the way they are. I'm Kelly, she, her. And I'm Aaron, they, them. So, in the last episode we did, we were talking about extremophiles as in, like, life in space, these organisms that can live in really... environments that aren't necessarily conducive to life for most organisms. (laughs) But we realized in talking that we just needed our whole own episode to talk about the extremophiles that like to live in really hot and really cold environments. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, this is an extension off of last week because last week we we talked a lot about aliens that live in the vacuum of space and we realized, oh, this is a whole episode. So yeah, we're on to, um, to some other kinds of extremophiles. Yeah. So, would you like to tell us about our first hot alien now? <laughs> our first alien that's a, a heat extremophile. Keep in mind that extremophiles are, are organisms that live in extreme environments. So while Vulcans are well known to live on a hot planet, when I think of an extreme heat Star Trek alien, I think of Tholians. Okay. This is a species that was first introduced in the original series, and for a long time we never got a good look at them, and I don't think we ever did until Enterprise, when we get to see one, and it's like, it's like a bug made of crystals. Ooh. Yeah, it's very pretty. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it was was mid-2000s computer generated imagery so it was a little bit cheesy but it's enterprise conceptually they must look stunning (laughs) (laughs) so tell us about the environment they come from so i don't know if it's their home world is around 400 degrees fahrenheit and if you're on the metric system, that's about 204 to 207 degrees Celsius. And they commu- they communicate with each other by emitting different kinds of radiation. I wonder. I wonder if that's because the air is so hot that it's the background noise, mm-hmm. like the, the air molecules are already vibrating so much. And maybe sound doesn't travel as well. Yeah. 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 And they're also like, they've got crystal bodies too. So I wonder what that does to their ability to hear in an, in an energetically high environment. Well, they probably just resonate really high. Right? Mm-hmm. Like, let's talk about crystal vibrations. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I guess if, if you're a crystal person, like, you'd say that you're, all of these materials resonate at specific frequencies I guess. or whatever. Now we really should have brought a geologist on for this uh, one. <laughs> yeah, I guess I don't know any geologists off the top of my head, like or at least mm-hmm. not down here. Yeah, well, we'll have to find. We'll have to make friends with one. <laughs> Tell us about our sentient space rock person. So our, <laughs> our sentient space rock people are very territorial they're pretty xenophobic in general but at least one of them i think there was an ambassador on deep space nine that we get a lot of verbal references to in the script but we don't ever meet um love it when they do that yeah they apparently make really good silk sure (laughs) yeah with their crystal silk yeah the ultimately we don't actually know a whole lot about Tholians, but they do live in a very hot environment and they are i think they're really neat oh well, yeah yeah <laughs> kind of crystalline entity is pretty interesting mm-hmm. <laughs> so i got excited when we were going to talk about extremophiles because there's a lot of some of the hottest temperatures that organisms live at are actually 
at the bottom of the ocean. Your your forte, your wheelhouse. My wheel. Well, your, not the bottom your, of the ocean, but your like, cup of sea. Stop. <laughs> when I take my vitamins. No. no. <laughs> but the it's organisms that live around hydrothermal vents that are really mm. interesting. Or one thing that really interests me. There are these huge tube worms that it's very hard to tell because there's when you send an ROV down and you're looking like this little remote operate, remotely operated vehicle, a little like sea mm-hmm. drone, basically just send a, a submarine down that you can control via remote control. Yeah. And it is very hard to get the context of the size of these things. So you look at a picture of these hydrothermal vent worms and you're like, Oh man, like look at these little tube worms. They look like little lipsticks. Like they look like the little, in Little Mermaid, Ursula kind of yeah. squeezes a tube worm and uses it as lipstick. Are you about to say these things aren't little? They're six feet long. Oh my gosh. They're the size of you. <laughs> <laughs> which, wow. Which either means Ursula is gigantic. <laughs> she might be. She might be, but that means Ariel's also gigantic, right? <laughs> I don't know. It's... <laughs> That's a separate podcast. Really That's for our other podcast. <laughs> that is for our Disney Physiology okay. podcast that we don't have yet. I mean, she is yet. Triton's daughter. She is Triton's the daughter. Guy's an absolute unit. He really is. Yeah. He's a specimen. Anyway, anyway, <laughs> anyway. Maybe he lives around a hydrothermal vent. Maybe that's how they keep warm okay, down there. Yeah. <laughs> we might have to have a side podcast. <laughs> oh, God. So these tube worms are kicking it with all of these other organisms around it's about 350 degrees celsius so that's 660 degrees fahrenheit Jeez, that's, so that's that's hotter than the tholians yeah whoa <laughs> tholians who <laughs> <laughs> but but it's not just tube worms there's there's a large diversity a lot <clears throat> a lot of them are actually invertebrates mm-hmm. so there aren't a ton of vertebrates down there although i think when i was looking there's some kind of sculpin fish that kind of sits on the bottom and lives around there. Okay. And other stuff kind of lives in the general area, mm-hmm. but the stuff that sits right on these hydrothermal vents, so a hydrothermal vent is like a crack in the tectonic plate that allows hydrother- like geothermal heat to rise out of this crack on the mm-hmm. ocean floor, and it just spews boiling water, like beyond boiling water, right? Because yeah. boiling water is like 100 degrees Celsius, and this is... 350 degrees celsius so it's like it's essentially gas right is it uh you you there actually i think you see like some cavitation like you see some like bubbles coming out of it because it's so freaking hot Mm -hmm. it would have to be yeah yeah wow so anyway so we've got these tube worms but we've we've also got something called a pompeii worm that like all, all of these are they're kind of dramatic names. They're fun names. Yeah. Common names. <laughs> Pompeii worms, like, because it lives next to a volcano, like mm-hmm. Pompeii. And then Yeti crabs are hilarious. Well, that one's funny because Yetis are kind of famously um, cold weather cryptids, aren't they? Correct. Yeah. Yeti crabs have, like, I don't know if it's filamentous algae, so, like, hairy-looking algae, or if, or if it's their skin kind of growing, or, or not their skin. Crabs don't have skin. Their it's shell. a carapace. It's a yeah. shell. I don't know if they if their externals are having something grow on them or if it's just because. Um, oh, but they look hairy. Is that what you're about to say? Like they're hairy. Oh. They're white and they're hairy and they have these long limbs. Cool. And something that I also want to talk about, like in general, deep, like I like talking about deep sea animals and uh-huh. like animals that develop in the absence of light. Often, 
they don't have color the same way we do and organisms that live in the light might just Mm -hmm. because they don't need it in the same way and their light receptors are very limited in their eyes you know so they're not depending on light or they're not depending on color to signal anything they often don't produce pigment because why would they need to so yeti crabs, uh, but for, for, but the whiteness of the yeti crab is not the most exciting part. It's their long hairy arms. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> They're super cute. That's awesome. I feel like I feel like they might be on display at the Monterey Bay Aquarium right now. Oh, because Monterey has this big deep sea exhibit that they just launched. So if there's any uh, Star Trek fans in the audience, the Monterey Bay <laughs> Aquarium made an appearance in Star Trek Four as the Cetacean Institute, and we did once have. The opportunity to try and convince well i did i we, we we met somebody at a party that that worked there and i tried to convince this person that hey you should do a showing of star trek 4 in your auditorium and she was like oh for that. <laughs> but, but it never like, happened oh yet yet we could yeah. go back we could try <laughs> it'd be cool it'd be a cool thing to do oh i'd buy a ticket to that for sure oh heck yeah but anyway so there's there's deep sea organisms like mm-hmm. yeti crabs that are on display i got to touch a deep sea isopod so an isopod meaning like a roly-poly but it's the size of a football cool maybe a pomelo maybe they're a little bit smaller than a football but like okay. pretty darn like more than a handful like i couldn't pick it up with one hand well i could because I, <laughs> I have i have good grip strength um but, <laughs> but it, it it's a big dude. It's a big dude. And I was really excited to pet it. It was, it was fun. It was oh, that's fun. awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And you can do that at the Monterey Bay Aquarium. Free plug for them. You're welcome. <laughs> I did want to talk about one other hydrothermal vent area dweller. Yeah. Vulcan octopus. Oh. Did you know? Probably Star Trek fans, if there's any in the audience. <laughs> there is the Vulcan octopus, as in volcano again. Right. These octopuses... There are octopuses that live around deep sea hydrothermal vents, which is good for them because they're eating all of the yeti crabs and worms and stuff. They eat all of the little other invertebrates that live around the hydrothermal vents. Oh, that is so cool. Yeah. And yeah. So, so they're they're also living around these temperatures. And it cracks me up because like having cared for octopuses and taking care of them, they are super attuned to their environment. Like they're so influenced by the chemical composition and temperature of their water. Mm-hmm. So, like, the fact that these guys adapted and evolved to be around such extreme heat, especially considering, like, when you're right next to the the vent, it's, like, 350 degrees Celsius, 600 degrees Fahrenheit. Yeah. And then when you move away, it's, like, I don't have the number written down here, but it's, like, negative bajillion. Like, it's, it's mm-hmm. beyond freezing cold. Right. There's, and, like, a small temperate band, and then it gets... Yeah, so, cold. so, so, so cold. So there's yeah. a very narrow area where these animals can transition. And that narrow area is so transitionary. Like, it, it like... Yeah. I have a lot of questions about this. And it might okay. constitute its own episode. But okay. knowing what we know about octopus life cycles, they be, you've told me before that they begin their life as, like, little polyps. Right? No. no. Paralarvae. Paralarvae. So they're little okay. tiny versions of an adult. Little tiny. But they they get pushed around the sea by the currents, right? They can, yeah. They can? Oh, okay. I'm, so I'm guessing... I must be thinking of a totally different... Am I thinking of jellyfish? Uh, the polyps that you're thinking of jellies. Okay. Um, but... But what happens with octopuses is that they generally lay eggs, or cephalopods in general, yeah. lay eggs, and then the paralarvae hatch, 
and some of them float up and around in the water column sometimes for months mm -hmm. and then settle back down but it's usually like kind of right in the like near shore area yeah. it's not super far they don't go super far as far as we okay. know I but guess I was octopus just, genetics are hard so it's hard to track that i was just wondering if the currents produced by that hot water push them out of the but they must not push them out of the hot zone huh uh maybe not i don't really know much about vulcan octopus okay. reproduction like yeah. I, I couldn't fairly say I, I am willing to bet that they maybe lay fewer larger eggs oh okay. there's there's kind of two octopus styles that like they always have multiple offspring mm -hmm. but like i'm wondering if some of them are if they have fewer larger eggs yeah. that kind of style as opposed to like a million tiny eggs or several thousand tiny eggs yeah. so we're talking about maybe hundreds instead of thousands yeah maybe hundreds instead of thousands okay. and like the deep sea octopuses that we have seen in the you know those big colonies uh breeding colonies yeah brooding it's not breeding colonies it's brooding colonies so there's okay. a bunch of females that are just sitting there like protecting eggs and just kind of like hanging out i wonder if vulcan octopus also maybe does that and like yeah, hangs out on top of the eggs instead of like laying them and letting them mm -hmm. kind of whatever because octopus mothers tend to like clean their eggs and take care of them that way so i don't <laughs> <laughs> I, I can see a world where they do this, that Vulcan octopus does the same thing. The one disappointing thing is that Vulcan octopuses don't have pointy ears. Dang. But they can do the neck pinch, right? Uh, they do tend <laughs> to do a bit of a strangle, don't oh, okay. they? And they also, well, they, they, they bite. Like, that's, that kind of beak is a pinch. I, I bet that counts. Okay. <laughs> Vulcans, famous biters. Vulcans, famous biters. There's something pointy on them anyway. <laughs> and their blood is not red. It's, it's going to be blue, right? It's going to be blue. Because of the... Hemocyanin. Hemocyanin. I almost said cyanogoblin. <laughs> <laughs> Let's take a break. Let's take a break. <laughs> so, uh, we've talked a lot about the extremophiles in the hot direction, but what about the cold direction? We know a lot of organisms or a lot of uh, track species that live on cool planets, like mm -hmm. our Andorians and Anar, mm -hmm. but they clearly are fine. Come, like they can, yeah. they can acclimatize to being on a ship that's much warmer. Yeah, like I, I think if I remember correctly, like a Starfleet ship is kept around seventy degrees. Fahrenheit. That's a conversion because they do everything in Celsius on Star Trek. But sure. it's that's that's around the temperature. And Andorians seem fine at that temperature. Yeah. But when I think of like a true cold weather Star Trek alien, and this is, a, again, an alien we don't know a lot about in canon, but the Breen, they were a villain in Deep Space Nine. Mm -hmm. They were introduced in the next generation as kind of a, I don't want to say a one-off, but like just sort of people that are around. An idea to play with <laughs> yeah, in the space. Idea. Yeah, we can play with this. They wear refrigeration suits at all times. We never see what one looks like without a, its suit. There's some there's some stuff in, in dialogue that says no one's ever seen what a brain looks like without their suit, but I know that isn't true because there's... Couldn't an, possibly be. Well, there's an episode of Deep Space Nine where uh, Dukat and Kira take out a couple brain and wear their suits to sneak into a brain compound. So, like, clearly at least two people have seen what a brain looks like. I wonder if mm -hmm. maybe they're just like non-corporeal and they build the suits. Are you like you take the helmet off and just like the gas comes out? Yeah. yeah, and then, they, then there's just nothing in there, and you're like, "What?" And then oh, they're like, huh. "We will never speak of this." 
<laughs> the gas makes you forget. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> They're just made of nitrous oxide as well. <laughs> Well, because there's another thing is there's through dialogue, we're told that Breen don't have blood or a circulatory system. So maybe they are just gas in suits. They're gas giants. (laughs) Yeah. But yeah, no, their their home world's said to be extremely cold and they walk around in these refrigeration suits at all times. Yeah, that's just interesting to me. Like I, there's just no way that that, there's Mm -hmm. some section 31 conspiracy or something because like you, they've got to know, like there's no way. That Starfleet, like. Starfleet exobiologists are not like taking advantage of potentially like we've had so many Star Treks where they have debates about what to do with the corpse of some kind of mm-hmm. some alien, you yeah. know. So like they have to have, they get in firefights with Breen regularly. Yeah, they were they were on the Dominion side during the Dominion War in Deep Space Nine. Mm-hmm. So like. Somewhere along the line, somebody has to have come across like a Breen and been like, I'm going to take its helmet off. No deep spoilers, but like, Breen were just on Lower Decks. They were. Yeah. Yeah. So like, come on. Like, these are not uncommon in Star Trek canon, really. Yeah. They're just kind of mysterious. I wonder if maybe without their suits, they just sort of... Maybe they're not gaseous, but maybe they just kind of dissolve, like, once their suit's off. Like, it's too hot and they melt. Like, husk. Yeah, so, like, you can see to be like, yeah, I'm going to take its helmet off. And then you do, and you're just, just like, goo or a mummy. And you're like, I have no idea what to do It's just dust. Yeah. (laughs) Weird. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, that's going to be my head canon right now, is that maybe maybe they need it to be so cold that their bodies just cannot exist at ambient temperature so you, you you think that they're just slushies and they need to be maybe cold to so they don't physically disintegrate mm-hmm. i mean that's not the worst theory just because like most humanoids are very much like we're like you and i were like mm-hmm. about 50 percent water yeah and of course the like the maxim ugly bags of mostly mostly water right yeah, yeah from um, tng <laughs> that was a common <laughs> phrase in my house growing up oh, that's bags of mostly water <laughs> yeah i mean it's a plurality of water it's about 50 percent. it's not mostly <laughs> duh <laughs> is it enough for a quorum uh it's enough to trigger a runoff oh, election okay. but like yeah it's not quite the majority i don't know <laughs> anyway <laughs> so back to the breen though like yeah Besides the refrigeration suit, do we know anything about what their lifestyle is like? Like what? No, <laughs> we don't, we know nothing. Um, we well, know it's all they, speculative, yeah. Yeah, we know that they eat algae paste at least, but we don't know if that that's their normal diet or if that was like a military ration of some kind. Their astronaut food. Their astronaut food. I do want to th- I do want to throw this out because this does get brought up in discussions about the brain. But um, in Deep Space Nine, Wayun, the Vorta administrator in charge of the Dominion, mm-hmm. mentions that the Breen homeworld is actually pretty mild and there's some suggestion that maybe the Breen don't need those suits but personally I don't consider Wayun a reliable narrator for a lot of reasons I mean yeah so like I could see this going either way because we've just talked about all of these places on our planet that are very extreme differences mm-hmm. so like we've got hydrothermal vents right next to the frozen frozen deep sea 
or very cold deep yeah. sea. It's not frozen because there's a lot of salt water in there and it's also very high pressure. Anyway, it's possible that they just come from a part of the home planet that's more temperate. More temp or mm. well no, like the breed oh, come from an extreme part from of the, the planet. Cold part of and the planet. if Wayun's ever been there, he went to like a I more could, temperate livable honestly, area. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's not like a landing party land gets out in a place where they mm-hmm. can't well, survive. Yeah. So like if it's so we know that the Andorians come from a moon that orbits the planet Andor. So Andoria is a moon. Most moons that orbit gas giants are tidally locked, which means one side is always facing their parent planet and mm-hmm. one side is always facing away. So what I'm thinking is that same, that tidal locking can occur, or we think it can occur on a planet as well as on moons like where we normally see it. So if the Breen came from a tidally locked planet and it's getting solar radiation from from its sun on one side, making it very hot, and then on the other side it's very cold, the Breen probably live on the cold side and then are using that temperate band between the hot and cold sides for things like embassies or visitor areas. Like, if you're going to have an embassy for aliens to visit your planet, you want to put it in that habitable, like that that more temperate band. Sure. Yeah. And then you want to have the dark side of the planet that people can't see. Yeah, <laughs> so especially to... if you're weird and secretive like the brain. You don't yeah, want them near, your, near your... your um, you don't want... <laughs> You don't want your like diplomatic people from other places near your like actual house. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, yeah. So so we see some like I was saying we see some like mm-hmm. extreme distributions of extremophiles on our planet as well. So like we've got places on our planet where we live like where our humanoids developed, mm-hmm. and then we've got places where like plenty of organisms on our planet that have adapted to extreme cold as well so i've talked about there's other deep sea animals that kind of live right around the edges mm-hmm. more octopuses right obviously but yeah. um all kinds of weird creatures that live in the absence of light which means they live in extreme cold on our planet that's kind of the absence of light tends to translate to uh much much colder mm-hmm. in general because we're not receiving solar radiation but we've also got animals that live at the poles so anything that lives in the Arctic or yeah. in Antarctica, those vertebrates, it's generally vertebrates, but like other, other animals too, tend to be slightly larger than animals toward the equator, in case you wanted to think about that. Yeah. But like, like bigger bears, bigger octopuses even, giant Pacific octopuses live around kind of that cold edge of the ocean. Bigger seals and sea lions. So like it's, it's often the marine mammals, but mm-hmm. it's our example. But... Bigger fishes too, bigger sharks. Maybe not bigger sharks. Great white sharks live like on the equator. They they like to cruise between California and Hawaii. They're yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so the they there's animals that are adapted to have like really thick layers of blubber, which is really thick. It's it's more dense than fat, and it's got like blood vessels running through mm-hmm. it in a different way. Like it's it's really this really really rich tissue, and I could talk about cold weather adaptations in, for a while, but I just don't have any great analog for the Breen because we don't know what the Breen are. Right. 
and yeah. I don't know. And like, I know that going back to like all of these animals on display at Monterey Bay Aquarium, like you have to be so careful if you're bringing these animals up and you want to put them on display or study them at all, mm-hmm. because they're used to being so cold and so high pressure that if you let any of that slip, then they start to denature. Their their proteins start to just like fall apart on oh, them. Geez. These animals melt essentially. Yeah. They're melting on the molecular level because yeah. they they're not experiencing the pressure and temperature that their body is used to operating at. So I think about that picture of the blobfish that we're all familiar with, Mm -hmm. but that's not actually what the blobfish looks like. It looks like a very normal fish when it's at its natural temperature and pressure. pressure. Yeah. Yeah. And it just blows up because all all its cells are like Mm -hmm. expanding because they're no longer under extreme pressure at the bottom of the ocean. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a bummer. It's, it's not. It, it's it's pretty. It's not a great experience for an, an animal mm-hmm. um, to be depressurized like that. So maybe that's what's happening to the breed. Maybe maybe they're not so delicate per se, but maybe there's like a pressure that they're also used to. Maybe their home planet has is high gravity, like we were talking about in oh yeah, could be a previous episode. Mm-hmm. So maybe they're used to like, or maybe they're you know. A, I don't know, maybe they're just experiencing different gravity, and so those refrigeration suits maybe are also higher grav suits, kind of put pressure on their tissues as well Mm -hmm. to keep them functioning. Yeah, that would be interesting. So maybe they... (laughs) Because we know gravity technology in Star Trek is super advanced and very reliable. Ah, yes. Well, maybe maybe if if your hypothesis, if you take off a green helmet, you just get a melty guy. Uh Uh-huh. My hypothesis is it kind you of take explodes. it off and it's no, you take off the helmet and it's a blobfish, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I wonder. Oh, maybe. Maybe someday we'll. So maybe it's like like maybe people have seen a brain, but they don't know what it actually looks like under its normal temperature and pressure. Yeah. yeah okay, I could buy that. <laughs> yeah, I like that. The bet is on. Let's see. <laughs> Let's see if somebody will show us a brain someday soon. Come on, Trek. Come on, Trek. <laughs> All right, I think that's got to be it for for today. Yeah, it does. Yeah. yeah. If you like this episode, please subscribe on your favorite podcast listening app. And if you're using Apple, please rate us five stars and leave us a review so other people can find us. If you didn't like it, come back next episode and maybe you'll like it better. Because only some like it hot. <laughs> the title of the episode. Yeah. <laughs> Ding, we did it. Uh, you can follow us on Instagram at Spinal Frontier Pod and on Twitter at Spinal Frontier. We have finally gotten to have some conversations with people who like our show on the social media, and we would like that to continue. Okay, honey, you can press play. <laughs>